0: Hey TechLead here and welcome back to another episode, it is tea time and we are drinking jasmine tea, tons of fun! Today I wanted to go over some more coding practice for you guys. Why is coding practice so important? Why is it so neat? Why are we doing this? And that's an excellent question. I used to be like you, okay, I used to think, you know, this coding practice doing leet code whiteboarding questions, it's boring, it's stupid, it's senseless, it's not real, it's not practical, nobody actually does any of this stuff. How often in real life are you going to be writing a recursive binary tree traversal, calculate the space-time complexity of that and then do it in reverse as well using linked lists? And I used to always think, why don't I just do my work? act like a normal programmer, like a normal engineer, I should not have to go above and beyond and do something totally crazy just to ready myself in terms of interview practice. And the thing to note here is that I used to go into interviews and think, if only people would just talk about the actual things that I've accomplished, the project work that I've done, then that should be enough many people, okay, many interviewers are not properly trained. Many of these are just completely ridiculous, stupid engineers who have no clue how to interview somebody, no idea how to evaluate someone properly. And you come in, they don't even shake your hands. They don't even ask you your name. They don't look at your resume. They don't ask about anything. They don't ask about your project work. They just say, I have a question for you. I do reverse a linked list. And that's all they want to know. And so you need to prepare yourself for these types of interviews. Personally for myself, I like to always ask about a candidate's project work. I find that very important, very interesting to know about. Over at Google, a lot of other people, they just don't even ask about any of that stuff. They just go straight into the coding interview questions and get right into that. The facts are that it's just difficult to properly evaluate somebody in engineering. And so a lot of people end up resorting to these small little brain teasers. And you got to be able to play the game, you got to know how to do it. And it does actually come up sometimes in real-work scenarios. Sure, yeah, right now maybe you're not necessarily traversing a binary tree in reverse order using linked lists. But at some point in your career, you may need to be able to do that. Maybe every so often, maybe once every two, three years, you may actually have to traverse a binary tree or something like that. You're going to be expected to be able to know how to do that. And if not, that you'll be able to at least participate in say design discussions where you'll be able to understand this algorithm, be able to comment on it intelligently. And not sound like a complete idiot when you're participating in discussions have an idea about what time-space complexity is and not really just suggest completely ridiculous algorithms that people just wonder why are you even here why are you even working here shouldn't you be fired and so these are all good reasons to familiarize yourself with this beyond that it's just good interview practice you know right here this is it this is the game right this is the key if you can master this you can get into any tech company almost because this is what they're using and so it's very simple, very straightforward. So let's just get into it. We're going to go to lead code, pick a random question, and we're going to look for say an easy or medium type question and just try to answer it. I'm going to try to do it in say JavaScript. This video, by the way, is sponsored by algoexpert.io techlead. Check them out for tons of additional interview coding question videos. They have a lot of good material and go through time-space complexity on tons of different coding algorithm questions. Check them out, algoexpert.io techlead. Ace your next interview. Here's one, this is pretty simple, right? We're trying to figure out, given a number of versions, find out which version is bad. Looking at this function parameter is kind of an interesting one actually, because they're actually passing in a function and we're returning the function. So it's not so much variables that we're passing around, it's functions. And so that's kind of a tricky one to think about. But once you can wrap your head around what the inputs and outputs are here, then I think that the algorithm is going to be fairly simple. The most brute force solution is you go through each version starting from the first one and you see which version results in a bad function and we can write that one up but it would just take linear time what we're trying to do here is minimize the number of calls to its bad version and this is something that actually happens a lot in real work as well i happen to know the solution for this one is actually used in production as well you just do a binary search you bisect each time and in logarithmic time say log 2 Time you'll be able to figure out which version is bad. How much space is this going to take? It should take zero space, right? Because all we're doing is just making a bunch of function calls. Why don't we try coding this up? Okay, so I implemented this algorithm. It just goes through, finds the middle version, checks if that's good or bad. If it's a bad version, then it sets that as the maximum version that we're gonna check against in the next iteration. If it's a good version, then it will set that as the minimum plus one these edge cases are a little tricky to get right but when the minimum version equals the maximum version that you know that you've checked every single version and then you can return that number we can submit that over for leak code to process we find that it is running faster than 42 percent of other javascript solutions that's pretty neat and yeah there you go Why don't we move forward? Why don't we do another one? I think we've got time. Here is a nice one, medium perfect squares question. Given a positive integer n, find the least number of perfect square numbers, which sums up to n. So given the number 12, we know that 4 plus 4 plus 4 can equal 12. The total number of these perfect square numbers is 3. In another scenario, given the number 13, then we know that this can be added up by numbers 4 and 9. That answer should be 2. So I've been thinking about this one a little bit, and at first I was thinking, well, maybe I could do this in a greedy manner. But then I realized that, no, it's a greedy algorithm isn't going to necessarily work where we just take a look at the highest numbers and go down from there. And that's when I realized, yeah, this is probably a dynamic programming problem. Now, a lot of companies these days aren't so much asking dynamic programming questions all that much because they're pretty tricky to do. But... We can just do this anyway, so the key here is to realize that the solution for say f of 13 is f of 13 minus 1 squared plus 1 because you had to add that one or the minimum of that versus minus 2 squared, 3 squared, and for each of those you would add 1 because you know that you're adding at least one squared number for that. You can imagine that you can go through this until that the number becomes negative Now we can compose this using dynamic programming which is just a fancy way of saying that we're going to build this bottom up and then store the values as we go. In order to build this bottom up we're going to need to know the value of f from 1 through 13. So we can allocate an array and loop through from 1 through n and by the end of this iteration we should have the final answer. The time complexity of this may be that you need to go through each digit so that's at least n. And then for each digit, you need to go through the number of squares that it takes to compose of that digit, which would be like, say, square root of n. So I would estimate the time complexity of this as like n times square root of n or something like that. Why don't we try coding up the problem and let's see what this might look like. Okay, there you go. So I finished the program. I go through two loops. The first loop goes through from every number from 1 through n and then the inner loop goes through from 1 through n as well using the squares of those values but it will actually stop early if it needs to if the value is greater than or equal to the current value. That way we can just terminate the loop early. What we're doing here is we're just removing one element, one potentially squared element, one number that can contribute to the sum of this number. And then we're finding the minimum number of elements that can be used to compose this We can see quickly here that there's two loops. The first loop goes through 1 through n. That's going to be in linear time. The second one is using a squared value going through to the maximum value of that first loop. So I believe that the runtime would be something like n root n. The time complexity, well, we have this array, this hash map type of thing, and it's going to be linear space. The solution is running 24% faster than other JavaScript solutions. You know, that's fine. but I'm not really keen on optimizing some dynamic programming solutions. So it's pretty much good enough. Let's move on. Uh, Move zeros. Given an array nums, write a function to move all zeros to the end of it while maintaining the relative order. You know, there's so many different ways to do this. And I think that this is really about trade-offs, right? One of the ways you can construct a second array, go through a pass, count the number of zeros and any non-zero you put into this array and you can construct an array that way and that works. But what they're asking for here is to modify this array in place. And so that makes things a little bit more interesting. If they want us to modify this in place, it's quite likely that we'll be able to do this using no space requirements, right? Because we're not going to need to allocate another array. We just need a few variables here and there to keep track of where the zeros may be and then we would need probably linear time because I imagine we can do this in a single pass. I think this is very similar to one of those like sorting algorithms, I don't remember which one, but what you can do is essentially you just have a marker right, an index, and as you go through you simply move zeros to this index. Keeping track of these indices by the way occurs throughout many different problems. Iterative solutions where we're going through a pass in an array Oftentimes, you need a few variables to keep track of where things are, index markers, essentially. I can imagine there are a few ways to solve this one. One is that you can just go through and in n-square time, right? For each index, you scan through the array, find the next number, and then you swap it. And then you go to the next element, and then you do another full scan of the array. This would take n-square time. But if you think about it, I think that there may be a way to do this using linear time you simply just do a single pass and you have two markers. The first marker keeps track of which index you're trying to fill and then the second marker keeps track of which element you're currently at, which element you're looking at. That second marker is always moving forward and so is the first marker and you never really go backwards such that you continue your progress and you make a single pass. Why don't we try to code this one up as well? So I believe I finished the solution here. I have to write an extra swap function just to swap two things around. Runs in 80 milliseconds faster than 46% of other JavaScript online solutions. That seems good enough for me. It is an iterative solution. Sorry, I had to move locations a little bit, but uh, I wanted to just do one more quick lead code problem for you guys. I'd like to get through a number of these at least. Uh, let's just try and pick an easy one so we can just cover some more here. Here's one word pattern. Given pattern a string string, find if the string follows a certain pattern. So the pattern is ABBA and you want to find out if it matches dog, cat, cat, dog and that does match so you're given a pattern and you want to find out if that matches so this sounds pretty simple really it's really a data structures problem I believe you could just go through you create a hash map and that hash map represents the pattern that you're creating and then you go through the word. For each word, you look up if that word has been assigned a symbol and if it has not been assigned, then you can assign it and you can move on. If it has been assigned a symbol, then you need to check that that symbol matches whatever was in the pattern. Imagine you can do this in two phases, right? The first phase is you construct a quick way to check against this pattern. This is the array of patterns that you have and then you would want like a hash map indicating what symbols have been mapped already. And then you would want to go through the string. The string you will go through, you will break it down by words, check each word against the hash map, and then check that word against the array to see that uh, the ordering is correct. Those are the two things that we need to be checking here. Let's try and code this up real quick here before I run out of time. So there we go, we've solved the problem. Faster than 23% JavaScript solutions, which is good enough, it's fine. And one tricky thing about this was that I realized that I needed uh, two maps. One maps from the symbol to the word and another from the word back to the symbol such that I could quickly check whether the word had already been mapped. Otherwise, I was finding that the solution would fail for like A, B, B, A, and then the string would be dog, 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 dog. Because the word dog could be mapped to both A and B, that would actually technically be considered a matched pattern in the end the solution is running in linear time and 2n space still linear space still fine yeah that's pretty much how i would solve that one i'm sure that there are of course trade-offs that you can make here too right for example you can get away with not using two maps if you decide to search through the map each time that would increase the time complexity however so it's just interesting to think about the trade-offs as you go through this and without do for me. If you like the video, give the like and subscribe and I'll see you next time. Bye.